We're going to be in Psalms, in the Psalms this evening, and hope you came prepared to stay a while. We're going to go through an entire Psalm, verse by verse, Psalm 131. If you have your, uh, that little volunteer sheet filled out, um, by the end of the service, you can give it to me or put it out at the Welcome Center, give it to my wife. We're kind of going to be putting teams together, and the sooner we get, the, get them returned, the easier it's going to be for us, and we'd appreciate it very much. If you just want to do everything, check it all. We won't let you do everything, but we'll put you where you could be most needed. So anyway... You know, after um, all these years of being a Christian, it seems to me like uh, the things that were emphasized to us early in our Christian life are still the things that are important to us. There are other things we learn along the way, of course, but one of the most important things we learn is that uh, the more God has of us, uh, the more God can work through us. And it's not that we need more of God. We have all of Him when we got saved. We got the, the Spirit of God within us. He fills us when we're saved. But the problem a lot of times is He doesn't have all of us. And, and, that, and that, was a, that was a challenge when I was uh, 21 years old, and it's still a challenge today. And this verse, in this verse, it's very interesting a chapter, interesting psalm, psalm addresses uh, that issue. And so we're going to look at it together, and good to see you tonight. We're going to stand, as we always do, for the reading of the Scripture, if you'd stand with us. And we'll read the entire psalm. Verse 1, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor mine eyes lofty. Neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. Surely I have behaved and quieted myself as a child that is weaned of his mother. My soul is even weaned, even as a weaned child. Let Israel hope in the Lord from henceforth and forever. Now, this is a very, to me, a fascinating short psalm. We're going to just kind of break it down verse by verse. But in it, David is acknowledging really a measure of victory in his life. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's really a victorious place to be by the grace of God to be able to say, my heart is not haughty. Because the heart is deceitful above all things, we know that and desperately wicked. To be able to say mine eyes are not lofty and I'm not exercising myself in matters too high for me. So he's talking about victory in his life, that it can only come by the grace of God. And it's not a military victory, it's a spiritual victory, a personal victory in David's life. And the victory had to do within himself. You know, when he says, you know, I have behaved myself and... We're going to look at that together tonight. 
and just talking about the, the importance, the, the absolute essential reality that really to grow in grace, we don't just need to know more, but we need to get ourselves out of the way more. And so that's really what this is about. So let's pray as we get into it. Father, thank you for your word tonight. Thank you for how it speaks to our lives. And Father, we know that it's a miraculous book. It's divinely inspired and preserved for us. We need the Holy Spirit to be our teacher. And we need to take our responsibility seriously to learn, to grow, and Lord, to yield ourselves to you. So I pray tonight that you'd help that to take place in our lives. God, we want to please you. We want to be, um, we want you to control us, fill us, direct our lives. We don't want to hinder you. We don't want to stand in the way or grieve what you want to do in us. And Lord, it's a miracle that you would save us and, and just as much a miracle that you would use us and we want to be usable. So please bless as we study together tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So when I read this passage, and again, we'll break it down verse by verse in a moment. It, to me, it's really talking about dealing with ourselves. And David knew what it was to have God's help in his life. I mean, the first real example of this we see is when he killed Goliath as an older teenager. And he knew what it was to have God helping him. He also knew what it was to miserably fail. He knew what it was when you have let carnality have its way in your life. And one of the things I love about the Psalms, and I do love the Psalms, is, is David in his writing often opens his heart up for us to look inside. He lets us see his humanity. And in doing so, we see ourselves. I see myself. She struggled with discouragement. He struggled with different issues. And so here's a Psalm where he is expressing his heart. And it's, it's a psalm that's directed to the Lord. The very first word is Lord. He's speaking to the Lord. My heart is not haughty. He's talking to God, being very transparent in this conversation. And we get to eavesdrop as he does. So in these verses, he, he describes what I'll, I'm going to look at is three different aspects, one in each verse, three different aspects of him, of us dealing with ourselves, not just God dealing with us, but us dealing with ourselves. You know, we need God to deal in our life, right? We need God to work in our life. We want him to work in our life. But we have a certain responsibility to deal with issues in our own life. You know, the writer of Proverbs uh, tells us, keep thy heart. You do it. You be your custodian of your own heart. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Who's responsible to keep my heart in the right place? I am. And each one of us have that responsibility. As parents, we're responsible to teach our children and care for our children and, and try to guide them and nurture them. But as, but as they get older and they, they come to the place of salvation, who's responsible to keep their heart? You know, you can try to keep their schedule. You try to monitor their friends. And you tr but they're supposed to keep their own heart. And so if you're here tonight, you are responsible, and that's what this verse talks about, to keep our own heart. So the first thing we see David addresses is what I'm going to call prideful tendencies. He said, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor mine eyes lofty. 
Neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. And if you had to use one word to describe everything that's in that first verse, it would be the word pride. My heart is not haughty. You know, he's describing really the battle that we all have with pride. This is not new, but, but it's, it's always worth mentioning. Probably the issue that gets us in most trouble in our life is our pride. It, can, it may manifest itself in different ways. It could be stubbornness. It could be greed. It could be, you know, judgmentalism, being critical of others. But really, all those things stem from pride. And so we all have this battle. And so David says, my heart is not haughty. The word haughty means to be, to lift it up, to think of yourself more highly than the ought to, to be exalted. Nor he says, nor my eyes lofty. So my heart is not prideful and my eyes are not lofty. You know, lofty being looking up. You know, the Bible in more than one place uh, man says that pride is manifested by a person's eyes, by the way they look. In that passage in Proverbs 6 where it says, these, uh, these six things the Lord hateth, yea, seven are abomination unto him. Remember that list, of short list of seven things that, that God hates that are, abomin- that are abominable? And the second one is lofty eyes, a proud look, a proud look. And as parents even sometimes, you know, that you can see that look in your child, a proud look. You say, well, I don't know if I've ever seen it. Well, maybe you never will. <laughs> but it, it, pride can be seen. I've seen it in people's eyes. And, you know, Proverbs 30 says there's a generation, oh, how lofty are their eyes. So David says, my, eyes, my heart is not haughty and my eyes are not lofty. And then he says this, a third aspect of pride Nor, he says, neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. He was, David says, I'm being careful not to think of myself in an elevated manner, in a a more lofty manner than I should. And by the way, that's one of the things pride does. It makes us think that we're more important than we really are. And so David's working on that. Uh, there's a verse I want to turn to, come back, back to Psalm 131, but over in uh, the book of Romans, over in the New Testament, Romans chapter 12, a verse or two about this matter of just keeping ourselves with a humble attitude. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 16, Paul writes, be of the same mind one toward another. Romans 12, 16. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend, which means to come down. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Don't be... You know, don't feel like that your, your opinion is the most valuable opinion. So, so all these things have to do with pride. There's a, another verse, I'll not turn to it, in Philippians, where Paul wrote, Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. Don't do anything through vain glory. Vain is emptiness. And in the very next part of that verse it says, In lowliness of mind, lowliness of mind, not an elevated mind, 
but lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Anytime, we're not, anytime we think we're better than anybody, that's, a, that's an indication of pride. And so in all these different ways, Psalm 131, we're back to Psalm 131, in all these different ways, David is describing the prideful tendencies in our heart. And all of us have to battle with that. Um, it's really pride is an enemy. We've been looking at the indirectly kind of in our series on eschatology, last days things, and um, about Lucifer and his fall and how he was cast out of heaven because of, it was because of his pride. He was so he was so proud, so arrogant. And uh, that was, that's been the record of many people in the Bible. Saul, the first king of Israel, that's what, that what took him down was his pride. You know, just think of himself more highly than he ought to. So it's a real enemy. And sometimes we think of pride as being, and you might say, why are you spending so much time on this? Because when we get to the, when we get to the third thing, second thing in the verse, we'll, if we don't understand the problem, we won't really appreciate the cure or the help. But the problem is pride. That's the problem he's dealing with. And pride's not just thinking you're better than someone else. Pride is just exalting yourself. And, you know, it's, we see it in our children. We see it in our own lives. We see it in our world. We see it in society. We see it in athletics. We see it in every, every place you look. You see this manifestation of something that God hates. Pride is exalting ourself. Our, our hearts, our human hearts, not the, not the heart, the muscle that pumps our blood, but our, our inner being is naturally inclined toward pride, pride and prideful, being prideful. So it's, it's, it's a common problem. It's a universal problem. You see it in children when they refuse to obey you. And, and it's amazing how young they can be be resistant to authority, you know, and just and not do or not stop doing what you tell them to do. And that's a, that's a serious issue because it's pride. It's a manifestation of pride. It's pride that refuses to follow instructions. It's, it's pride to always want our way. And if we don't control it, if we don't control our pride, our pride will one day control us. And it really does. So God... God is dealing in David's life, and David is telling God that he was working to keep the pride in check. And so that's what that whole first verse is about. I want to read it again. Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor mine eyes lofty, neither do I exercise myself in great matters or in things too high for me. Now that's the place that I know that David is very grateful for, that that moment in time he could say, God is helping me. Not to be prideful. God's helping me to keep my pride uh, in check, to keep my life surrendered in submission to God. And then we have a, a second thing in verse 2, which really is the part that I want to emphasize the most. He says, Surely I have behaved and disquiet and, and quieted myself. Now think about that. Surely I have behaved and quieted myself as a child that is weaned of his mother my soul is even as a weaned child 
And I've spent a lot of time over the years looking at that, and I've taught on that before, because it's, a, it's an interesting picture to me laid out in the Scripture. David is, is acknowledging that he's been able to have his heart in the right place. By the way, if I ever think that my heart is really in the right place, I know it's because God helped it to be there. It's not because I did it. And so he's, he's saying, I'm, and how is that? Because he said, I have I've behaved and quieted myself. And then he gives this illustration from life about a child that is weaned of his mother. And then he says, basically, this is what I've done. I've been able to wean myself and quiet myself. The words he used there in verse 2 was, my soul, my soul, David says, is even as a weaned child. So what does that mean? I have behaved and quieted myself. I think it's an interesting phrase for an adult man to say I'm behaving. But he's talking about he's, he's keeping himself in check. He's keeping his pride under control. He's keeping himself disciplined, submissive to God. And by the way, it's not a, it's one thing, you know, you may think, man, it would be, it'd be a difficult thing for me to get my child, my toddler, just to be quiet, right? That is a challenge. But he's not talking about quieting, silencing a voice. He's talking about getting his pride under control getting his self-life under control. And I want to say, it's not easy to quiet ourself. For self doesn't always want to be quieted. Myself wants to have more of a voice, not be quieted. Self wants to promote itself. Self wants to defend itself. That's why Jesus in the Gospels there we've been studying in on Sunday mornings, he never defended himself. You know why? Because he wasn't in it for himself. We defend ourselves because we want to protect ourselves. It's a natural instinct. We, we want to assert ourselves because we want our way. But Jesus wasn't interested in his way. He says, not my will, but thy will be done. And so the language there that, that David is using is the illustration of a weaned child, a child that is weaned of his mother. At some point in a child's life, he must be weaned from the milk of his mother to eat other food. And, you know, truth be told, most, most little kids, probably maybe all of them, don't want to be weaned. They'd rather just not have to work, not have to get food, not have to learn to cut up my... Um, my chicken or steak, not have to chew anything. I just want to sweat. This is the life I want to live, but it's not good for them. They graduate from milk to other forms of nutrition. It's a part of growing up. And this is what David said. I've weaned myself. I've quieted myself. And he's comparing, I believe, self-discipline to a child being weaned from his mother, which may not be pleasant. It may not be easy but it's best. And he says, my soul is like a, a weaned, that's exactly the language in verse 2. My soul is even as a weaned child. My, my soul is, be, is like a child that's been weaned from its mother. I've quieted myself. I have, I have disciplined myself. I've behaved myself. So what's being weaned 
is his soul. And that's, that's an interesting illustration that he used to bring that out. And when he's talking about his soul, you know, from all that we know about the New Testament, man is a, a triune being. Man has a spirit, a soul, and a body. And I think it's important sometimes to keep that in mind. You know, you ha- your, your soul is a th- one-third of your being along with your body and your spirit. Now, I don't know that David was using it in that exact way, but we, that's the way the word soul is used in the New Testament. The spirit, the moment a person gets saved, their spirit is, is immediately and eternally changed at the time of their conversion. It's quickened, it's brought to life. Your spirit is what gets born again, which gets, which gets quickened when you get saved. And the body, that's the tabernacle you live in. That's this flesh that we have. And it's not going to be changed until the resurrection when we get brand new bodies. And there's, but the, So we're not talking about the spirit. We're not talking about the body. We're talking about a man's soul. And I believe the soul, in a man's soul, you have his intellect, his mind. You have his emotions, feelings. You have his... Uh, volition, his ability to make choices. That's all a part of a man's soul. So it's, it's your soul that uh, can be submissive or be rebellious. It's your soul that can be happy or be sad. It's your soul that can, you know, it's your soul that has ideas and thoughts and imaginations. It's your soul that struggles with temptations and makes choices, sometimes wise choices, sometimes foolish choices, and all that's a part of your soul. And if a person is going to conquer their pride, they're going to have to have their soul in check. Because our, my soul did not get converted when I got saved. It's being transformed. It's being um, sanctified. It's, it, it ought to be. We ought to be becoming more and more like Jesus. We ought to be becoming less and less selfish, less and less prideful, more and more humble, more and more grateful. That's a process of life. And if you're saved and you're cooperating with God, that process ought to be going on in your life. He's becoming more and more a part of your life. Your old way of thinking is being left behind. A new way of thinking is replacing it. And But that doesn't just happen automatically. Your soul, which has to do with your choices and your thinking and your emotions, the soul naturally tends to take, I believe, the path of least resistance, the way that's easy, the easy way. The way that's, you know, it's not natural for a person to uh, put others before them, right? That's not natural. But that's what God wants us to do, right? We know that God, that's, that's the way God wants us to live. And so... This passage, David is saying, I have, I'm experiencing a measure of grace in my life where my heart is not haughty. I don't have an elevated view of myself. I'm walking in humility. That's just the grace of God. But he, he says it, but he also says in verse two that I've been trying, I've been like a weaned child. I'm I'm behaving myself. I'm quieting myself. My, there's, a, there's a part of every one of us that just wants to rise up and assert itself. 
and, and speak back to parents and be disre disrespectful. There's a part of every person. If you don't have that inside you, then God bless you. But most of us, most of us do. And it doesn't just go away when you get saved. It's a part of your life. And who's responsible? Who's responsible for quieting ourselves? It's us. It's us individually. And here's a problem, I believe. That often we may not recognize the, the depravity and sinfulness of the self-life. Sometimes we don't recognize that. I mean... If a person, you know, you could come to church and carry your Bible and sing songs and, 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 and really be doing a lot of it in the flesh, if not all of it in the flesh, and think it's okay. No, it's not okay. It's not okay. It's not okay to live in the flesh. It's not okay to just live by the energy of self. And if we don't recognize how evil the self-life is, how unacceptable it is to God, how, how utterly futile it is as far as trying to do good in the energy of the flesh, then we'll just keep living that way. And you know what? I think a lot of people do live that way. I think a lot of people are, are, find that acceptable. But, but what David is saying is, I, I'm, I'm trying to get this under control in my life. Now, I'm going to come back to that a little bit, but let's look at the third aspect that he mentions, and I'll just mention it briefly, and, that, and that's verse 3, where he says, Let Israel hope in the Lord from henceforth and forevermore. So that's talking about, really, having God as your hope, having your trust in the Lord. Let Israel depend on the Lord. You, so here you have this great contrast. You have faith in yourself or dependence upon yourself or faith and dependence on the flesh and you have faith and dependence upon God. One is self-reliance, one is God's reliance. And they're opposite. Faith is opposite of self-reliance. You know, if I'm trusting, I think I've got this figured out, I don't really need to pray today, I don't really need to trust God today, I can manage my life, I can handle my kids, I can handle my responsibilities. I want to tell you, that's prideful arrogance whether you say it or not you don't have to say it just live it just live without depending on God and you know what it's not pleasing to God whatsoever is not of faith is sin the Bible says so the opposite of that is being dependent on God and trusting in God not just not just uh, with words but with our heart our heart is depending upon the Lord and we need to be weaned from self-sufficiency. We need to be weaned from our self, our tendency, our reliance upon self to depend upon God. And so how do we do that? And I think that middle verse is, is expressed to me in the 131st Psalm. We have to wean ourselves. We have to quiet ourselves. Um, in essence, that language where it says, I have behaved and quieted myself. It's like I've, I've silenced myself. Not silenced just my words, but my, my, self, my self energy, my self power, my self responsibility. And I'm, I, it's, I'm quieting myself. Not just silencing my words, but silencing myself. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing? Could you imagine what it would be like? And maybe, maybe um, we don't all see this the same way. 
But what, imagine what life would be like if you completely could eliminate your self-life, your selfishness, your carnality. Wouldn't, that be a, wouldn't, the, wouldn't life be a lot different? It would indeed. And by the way, that's what's going to make heaven so wonderful. We're not going to have that anymore. Thank God for it. You know, we just have this natural inclination, like I said, I believe. You know, ch- babies, babies tend to be selfish. I mean, I doubt if there's ever been a baby that woke up in the middle of the night hungry that thought, I'm hungry, but I'm not going to wake up mama because she needs to sleep. Right? You know why? Because babies are just selfish. Now, our babies said, I'm not going to wake up daddy because he's the one that always had to get up and feed the babies. (laughs) If you believe that... You're a sucker for anything. <laughs> oh, but anyway, babies just tend to be selfish. When did you ever see a baby voluntarily when they have a toy that's their favorite toy and they have a friend over just voluntarily give up their favorite toy to give to doubt it doesn't happen. You know why? Because they're selfish. You know why they're selfish? Because you spent many, many months after they were born teaching them the importance of selfishness. Right? No, they're born with it. We're born selfish. We're born to think... And, and I, you say, that just sounds so, so cruel to say that about us. Well, it's reality. It's not, it's not being cruel. It's just being factual. And so... We need to bring that under control. We need to bring that selfishness under control in practical ways. In our marriages, in practical ways. Put our spouse first. Think of them first. In our, with, our, in, with your siblings, with your brothers, your sisters, on the job, whatever the case may be. But I think, I think people that are really listening tonight and thinking honestly about it, could recognize that our knee-jerk reaction, our natural reaction often is to put ourselves first, to think of ourselves first. And we have to realize that is a detriment to our spiritual growth because we're never going to get where God wants us to be until we get to the place that we can wean ourselves from ourselves. And say, I'm not going to let this selfish part of me control me. Our carnal minds need to be brought under control. My carnal mind tends to think carnal thoughts. Tends to think prideful thoughts. Our carnal emotions tend to think selfishly. Our wills make selfish decisions. Thinking of ourself first. You say, well, who? if I'm not going to think of myself first, who should I think of first? We ought to think of others. We ought to think of God, right? That's what, that's, that's what Jesus did. Do you think for a minute that Jesus went around even for one minute of one day just being selfish? It never happened. And that's who we're supposed to be becoming more like, more like him. And so our... We've got to bring that under control. We have to, we have to choose against ourselves. We have to say no to ourselves. 
Otherwise, we stay in a, a kind of a childish place, uh, an infantile, selfish, prideful place. And you know what, what this, part of this is just growing up. Christian, growing as a Christian is not just learning more Bible verses. I'm for learning Bible verses. But my phone can quote Bible verses. And it's not all that spiritual. Right? No, becoming Christ-like is, is I'm not, I'm, please don't understand, I'm not minimizing knowing the Bible. We need to know the Bible. But it's never gonna, we're never going to become really more like Christ until we learn to say no to ourselves. This, this, this is not just what Jesus... Jesus didn't say this to seasoned super saints. Deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. No, he says that to, to people at the, at the starting gate of spiritual, their spiritual journey. He said, if you're going to come after me, you have, to deny, you have to say no to yourself. You have to deny yourself. And if you can't deny yourself, he says, you will not be my disciple. And we all want to be disciples. We don't, we're not in it to be religious. We're in it to be followers of Christ. And this is, at the, this is at the heart of that. You know, in Peter's epistle, I'm not going to turn to it, when he says, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance. Temperance is self-control. Temperance means you don't, your flesh doesn't make your decisions for you. You don't do what's easy. You do what's right. And that's, that's at the beginning of the Christian life. We have to say no to ourselves. If we don't, we're going to suffer spiritually. Um, turn to the left a little bit here, and we're going to wrap this up. But go to Psalm 106. Just go a few chapters to the left. And I want to read a couple of verses in Psalm 106. This is one of those great records, a long chapter of just reminiscing about God's dealings with Israel and God's mercy and their stubbornness and God's grace is just a great one of those great chapters. But, but describing Israel's carnality, look in verse 14. And we're kind of getting in the middle of a sentence. Well, let's go back to verse 13, the start of the sentence. They soon, talking about Israel, they soon forget his works. We're in Psalm 106, 13. They soon forget his works. They waited not for his counsel. They did not wait on God's advice, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness. Lusted exceedingly. Wanted more. They wanted what they want everything that they had, but they always wanted more. And tempted God in the desert. And look what it says in verse 15. That's what I want to get to. And he gave them their request. He gave them what they lusted for. He gave them what they wanted. He let them have their way, but sent leanness into their soul. So they're getting what they want in the flesh, but their soul is being, is shriveling up, malnourished. And you know what? That describes where a lot of people are that say they're saved. They're whether they're saved or not, that's, that's not the issue. But they're, they're starving their spiritual man because they're just always feeding themselves with what they want. 
And you know what? What God wants is what's best. And what God wants is really the, the thing that satisfies us and is fulfilling to us. So mature, mature, you know what spiritual maturity is about? It's about a number of things. But one thing it's about is making decisions that are helpful for others and not just for us. It's being willing to say, I'll lay aside what I want because of what God wants or what I can do to help other people. As I said earlier, it's immature and childish just to think for yourself. Teenagers, I want you to think about this. How much of your life do you spend doing not what you want to do, but doing what you think would be helpful to other people? That's the Christian life. Now, baby Christians that are genuinely baby Christians, Peter wrote about this, they need the milk of the Word, right? As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. But you don't stay on a bottle your entire life. We need, to, we need to start eating meat. And not only just eating meat, but start feeding others. Start helping other people. That's what God wants us to do. So we have to wean ourselves. We have to wean ourselves from our pride. We have to wean ourselves our, from our selfishness. We have to behave and quiet ourselves. We need to say to ourselves, just hush up. You're not going to run my life. You're not in charge here. There's something that's more important than what you want, and that's what God wants. And it takes, it takes two things to do that. Number one, it takes desire. A person has to want, want the real Christian life. They have to want that. But then it takes discipline. It takes discipline to say no to yourself. You may say, well, I just, wanna, I just don't want to read my Bible today. I just think I'm going to just sleep in or I'm just going to watch cartoons. No, you have to say no to yourself. And that's, you know, if you, wanna, if you want one way, this is not the only way, one way that you can see in practical ways how we short-circuit our spiritual growth, this is it. We don't tell ourselves no. We just always do what we want to do when we want to do it, and, and we think that's what life is about. That's not what life is about. Life's about others. And more important even than others, life is about God. What does God want for my life? Amen? So I would, I would like to think that what David is expressing here in this 131st Psalm, that what David is expressing, we can understand. We can relate to it. It resonates with us. It's very practical to me. Just like a child is weaned from his mother, we need to wean ourselves from ourselves. We have to behave ourselves. We have to quiet ourselves. And at the end of the day, we, have to, we want to trust the Lord. What I would encourage you to do is think about how is this going to play out in my life? How am I going to put this to practice in my life? When something comes up at home, something comes up on the job, something comes up with a friend, someone asks you, would you be willing to do this? Rather than just saying no, say, Lord, what do you want me to do? How would you have me do this? And let and, and, 
and that you know what? Once we get into that mindset, once you get weaned from yourself, it really becomes a pretty good journey. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads together. Would you just tonight, with our heads bowed and as we pray tonight, would you be willing to say, Lord, I, I really want to do this. I want to live this way. And many of you do live this way. I want to recognize how harmful, how damaging it is just to live in the energy of the flesh according to my own self. And I want, to, I want to learn to do this. I want to learn to quiet myself and behave myself and be like a weaned... A, my soul is as a weaned child. I want to pull myself away from myself and make my trust in the Lord. Father, we thank you tonight for... Uh, a very unique psalm, and this the the what appears to us just the um, grace of God in David's life that he could say, "My my heart is not haughty, my eyes are not lofty. I've not lifted myself up, because Lord, we know it's our human nature to lift ourselves up." and protect ourselves and promote ourselves. And so, Lord, I, I, I pray that we could see the benefit of quieting ourselves and behaving ourselves and being as a weaned child. Help us to be more like Christ. Help us to be more in, in control of the Spirit and not walking in the energy of our flesh. While our heads are bowed and folks are praying tonight, would you just talk to God for a moment about this, about your own life?